0: Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our Ferndown campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. Okay, do you feel welcome? Are you thoroughly, well, and truly welcomed here this morning? Yes, great. Um, oh, I love worship. I love worshiping God. It's so good, isn't it? Can we just show God our love and affection, appreciation? It's amazing. So we're in this series called uh, The Big Ask. What is The Big Ask? Uh, that question came up in our small group on Wednesday. And so we had a little bit of a talk about uh, kind of what I feel like God laid on my heart uh, when he led us into this series. And the, the fact is, it starts with... Uh, would you mind going to the next slide, please, Simon? It starts with Jesus giving us the Great Commission, which is uh, in Matthew 28. We find it just before he ascends to heaven, he tells the disciples... Go, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So on one level, the big ask is Jesus asking us, his disciples, to do this. To go into all the world it 's a huge task it 's a big ask okay so that 's the first level uh, to be witnesses everywhere and that 's pretty big on another level it 's a big ask because when we do go and do when we do this task, when we do this purpose that he 's given us to go into the world and share our faith, there are big consequences yeah. there are eternal um, consequences because of, of us doing the great commission so in that way it's a big ask it's an ask with big consequences but on, a, on another level it's also a big ask because um, I know for many of us including me we don't always find it easy to do this to to go into the world and share our faith and be witnesses it's not for everybody it's not an easy thing for us to do for everyone, Some people do find it easy, but not, not many people, to, uh, to begin conversations, to walk across the room, to develop friendships, to discover stories. And I guess that is what I'm asking each of us to do. That is my big ask for each of us, and I know some of you are already doing that, and uh, that's fantastic. Um, I had a, a great go at that this week. I was uh, having a golf lesson, and I, had, I ended up having a chat with somebody, and it was great. And, and swapping phone numbers, and just starting that process going, I want us all to be a little bit more mission focused. Now, we all know what it's like to make a big ask of someone. And uh, an example of this is uh, a number of years ago, when Fru and I were first married, we were moving house from the flat uh, to a bigger house. We didn't really have kids. Actually, I think our first child was due, And I went to my in-law's, and I asked them, if can we live with you just for a few months while we move from this house to this house? There's a little bit of an in-between. So it was a little bit of a big ask. Not, not massive. There was only Fru and I. A few years after that, we decided to get an extension on our house. And now we've got three kids. And so back to the in-laws. Um, can we come and live with you again for a few months while we have our extension done? So actually quite a big ask because now there's five of us. And they've got to put up with five of us for a few months. But then last year, when we were moving from Bromley to Dorset, we now had six children. Okay, There was eight of us because we were fostering a child at the time. There was eight of us. And I then had to go and ask again. Okay. <laughs> Would it be okay if we came and stayed with you for a few months while we get our you know, a new house sorted, leaving our old, and there's going to be a few months when we haven't got a place? And they were very gracious, and they, they said yes, and they put up with us for those few months. But I know what it's like to make a big ask. Going to your in-laws and asking that, it's not a small thing, right? You understand where I'm going with this. Um, now, in the first week, we were looking at uh, making friendships. Uh, de- what, what did I say? Developing Friendship, that's like the first step of this, this big ask of sharing our faith, of walking across the room, is to develop uh, friendships. To walk out of our own zone of comfort, step into a zone of discomfort, if you like, and begin a meaningful relationship with someone, maybe a stranger or a colleague at work. Um, just like Jesus did for us. We have just mentioned it a little bit in, 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 that, in that song we were just singing. Jesus... He did this. He left the ultimate zone of comfort in heaven and came to the ultimate zone of discomfort here on earth. It says uh, at a pointed time in history, at, at, at the right, just at the right time, Jesus left heaven and came down to earth. He laid aside his divine majesty and it says he was in very nature God, but it says he emptied it. In the Bible, it tells us he emptied himself of that and made himself nothing taking the nature of a servant he didn't just walk across the room you could almost say he walked across the cosmos in order to do what needed to be done so he demonstrates his love for us in this way while we were still sinners he came and he died for us that's ultimate that's big while we were undeserving, while we were unreliable, while we were really unloving and unlovable, while we were guilty as charged, uh, Jesus came across the room and laid down his life so that uh, it says that he who um, knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus walked across the room and gave us this mission to do as well, so that we can now introduce Jesus to other people. And he didn't leave us to do this task alone. We, in the first week, we looked, looked at how the Holy Spirit comes, and he gives us uh, the ability to, and helps us to do this task. And one of the things we said is that when we are um, uh, developing friendships, we have to let the Holy Spirit in us disrupt our plans, if you remember. And then in the second week, last week, we looked at... Uh, discovering stories so we've developed friendships now we've got to discover stories we've got to find out what's going on in people's worlds and we've got to listen with grace not with judgment we don't want to be condemning people we want to be offering grace to wherever they're at just like uh, Jesus did discovering what's going on in their world and time and time again throughout the gospels Jesus did that a great example of this is uh, there's a woman who's been caught in adultery and uh, the religious leaders and the people are about to stone her and um, Jesus comes on the scene, and he, uh, he makes a statement, and he said, he who is without sin cast the first stone, and gradually, one by one, it says they all drop their stones and walk away. And then he reaches down and says to her, where are your accusers? And she says, they've left. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And that's the, that's the attitude, and that's the way we need to approach people. We don't condemn no matter what we think of the lives they're living whether they are as sinful as anything it's not our place to condemn them we extend grace just like he extended grace to us so when this woman caught in adultery Jesus said I know your story but that's your past story I can see a better story for you I can see a better future for you if you just walk down it And so when we come to people and we can have that same attitude, your past sins don't need to define you. Your past shame doesn't need to define you. And those people who talk about you, who want to throw those stones, they don't need to define you. We let the creator of the universe define us. And how does he define us? He calls us righteousness. He says, I don't condemn you. Wow, that's how he defines us. And that's the mindset we need to discover their stories And apply grace liberally. So our key verse for this series is from Colossians chapter 4. It says this, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity and let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So this week we're thinking about the next phase. We next phase we've had uh, we've developed friendships, we've uh, discovered stories and the next thing we need to do is to direct upwards. Okay? We need to introduce God in the equation. Now I know kind of we already have when we've talked about these other things but we need to be intentional because this is the most important thing bringing God into their life because he's the one that can actually change people pointing them in a God directions. So at some point in our interactions have the next slide, please. Uh, we need to point people to God. So last week, we were looking at Jesus' meeting with the uh, Samaritan woman at the well, if you, uh, those of you who are here. Uh, and it's a great, it's a great uh, account of Jesus, He's been uh, going from uh, Judea back to Galilee, and he has to go across Samaria. He stops at a well to rest, and a woman comes to the well to uh, draw some water, and he asks her for a drink of water. Those, I'm sure we know the story. And so it's, it's amazing how fast and how deep Jesus' relationship with this woman develops. They start off as strangers at the beginning of the conversation, almost enemies, because when he asks her for a drink, she says, well, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan, how can you ask me for a drink? Like, we don't get on. My people doesn't get on with your people. What's going on here? And this develops quickly into, move from strangers to acquaintances. They start talking and having a chat about water and about uh, living water and about uh, kind of the Holy Spirit and how that can change her life, which develops into this kind of almost rabbi and student relationship teacher and student Uh, Jesus goes into depth and they start talking about the different ways that they worship and what's the right way and what's the wrong way and then this develops into more of a supernatural thing where she says I can see that you are a prophet because of the things you're saying I can see you're a prophet and then this goes even deeper um, to the to the final level which is where Jesus wants to get it to Um, uh, the woman says I know that the Messiah Uh, called Christ is coming and when he comes he will explain everything to us and Jesus says to her I the one speaking to you I am he that's me the thing the person you're waiting for the messiah you're after that's me so this relationship has gone from a superficial stranger enemies almost down to this I'm the messiah I'm the one I'm the answer to your prayers I'm the I'm the thing that you worship I'm the one that you've been you've been waiting for it's amazing progression And it causes this woman to go pelting it back to the town. She wants to go back and she wants to share this news. Actually, she's going back to a place where she's an outcast, where she's an outsider, where they don't really like her. In fact, these people in the town uh, despise her. Uh, And we pick it up in verse 28 today. It says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town, and they made their way towards him. This is an amazing moment. This woman, who we know has had five different husbands, five different husbands, and is now living with a man who we know is not her husband, may well be somebody else's husband. Okay, This woman has, has really put her foot in it on many levels. She's got a deep hole in her soul, in her life that she has tried to fill, a deep deep hole she's tried to to quench that thirst that she's got she's tried to quench it with with men with relationships we know she's despised she's an outcast people want nothing to do to her with her she can't hang out with with the other women because of this bed that she's made for herself literally this bed that she's made and she has to come uh, to the well in the middle of the day when it's really hot instead of in the early morning with all the other women of the town when it's a bit cooler. She has to carry this heavy water jar by herself to the well and fill it. And commentators tell us that this well was not a shallow well. It was like over 100 feet deep. She has to drop the water down and pick this, pick this bucket up by herself. Okay, this woman has, has a kind of bad bad history, bad present. And she has to do this all by herself. And every day she carries this water jar, which is like this, this symbol of the weight that she has to carry, of, this, of her life that she has messed up. And John, when he's writing about this in his gospel, could have said the woman went back to the town. But he doesn't. There's an incidental thing he says first. He says, leaving her water jar, then leaving her water jar, she leaves it with Jesus. I love this idea that this symbol of her pain, this reminder of the way that she's messed up her life, She's able to leave it at Jesus' feet. And I love this idea that Jesus offers that same exchange to us, if you like. He offers that same deal. We give him our, our heartache, our past, our sin, our pain, our muck, our burden, our weight that we carry. And in exchange, he gives us hope and he gives us life. Now, I love packing. I don't know how you... Do you like packing for holidays and things? I love packing. I love packing the car. I really do. I'm a bit OCD when it comes to packing. I, if, if anybody who's seen the trailer that we bring all the stuff in, and I've got notes on the trailer about where everything has to go. I'm a bit... I'm a, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a good thing, I don't think. But I do like to pack, and I like to, to fill every available space with just the right uh, sized box or bag. And... Um, great when we go on holiday I especially like it when it seems impossible when you've got this much stuff and this much space I'm going to do this when we were moving here we'd sent all our stuff with the removal guys and we had a a few more bits and pieces actually quite a lot of stuff a couple of beds and things that we had to bring and so we hired a van and Fru said she said exactly the right thing She said we're never going to get all this stuff in this van I was like right aren't we Okay, even if it means I'm getting the chainsaw out, and kind of, it's going in, and so and I did. I got the whole lot in. You know, could hardly close, like pushing the door closed with that final mattress blocking thing. But I got it in, and I love doing that because Fru looks at me in awe and wonder, because I'm this like packing superhero. I'm the packing man. Um, but I love packing. Do you know there's nothing we are carrying that Jesus doesn't have room for? Nothing. He's got room. And you might think, no, 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 the thing I'm carrying is too big. The thing I've got to, I've got to carry through life, I've got to carry it. Jesus doesn't have room for that. He's got this much room. Between his hands, he can take everything. Everything that you think he can't, he's got it. He will take it. Matthew 11, verse 28. He says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is what the woman at the well experienced. And she wants to share it. She leaves her water jar and she goes back to the town and and she says, come and see, come and see. She points them towards Jesus. She points them upwards. Come and see this man. There's something different about him. He could be the Messiah. Now, this is our mandate. This is how we fulfill the great commission. We develop friendships. We discover stories. We find out about their lives And then we point to God and say, he's big enough to take the pain and the hurt that you've got. So we can say, come and see. In one of his Psalms, uh, King David writes this. He writes, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because it's so hard to tell with words how good God is. You can speak and speak and say, oh, he's so good, he's so good. But at the end of the day, people need to actually taste it for themselves they need they've got to come and see they've got to taste and see how good God is we can't convince people just by words now a lot of people in this world a lot of our friends a lot of people we come into contact with they're at this crunch point in some area they need goodness and a lot of people try and fix it just like this woman did with other things. They try and fix it themselves by, with men or with work or throwing themselves into getting money or throwing themselves into uh, some kind of addiction or into watching stuff or into gaming. People throw themselves into all sorts of things to fill a hole that's within them. Maybe that's you. Maybe you do that. I know I have sometimes. I've done that. Maybe it's someone you know But the truth is when you've tried everything that you can and that hole is still there, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me with your burdens, with your weariness. And we can take that now to other people and we can say, come and see. Come and taste and see. Taste and see. That's wisdom. That's being wise in the way we act towards outsiders. That is wisdom right there. Not trying to deal with things ourselves, but taking it to the one who can help. That's making the most of every opportunity, like Paul talks about in his letter to the Colossians. That's what filling our conversations with grace ultimately looks like. That's the most gracious thing we can offer, is the love that Jesus gives us. So when we direct upwards then, when we point to Jesus, what are we actually offering people? I want to make this really practical and simple this morning. What are are people getting? When we say taste and see, come and see, what do they actually find? Well, we've just read there, they find rest. One of the things they find, they find rest. Jesus offers rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. He's got space for everyone. And I will give you rest rest. I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. And you know that when Jesus says, come to me, what he's actually saying is, believe in me. Believe in who I am. Believe, in, believe that I can do what I say I can do. Believe in the promises I make concerning you. If you can do that, if you can trust in me, if you can put your faith in me, then you will find rest for your souls. And you will take that wait off i love it what it's in Matthew 9 Jesus is moving through the countryside and it says that when Jesus saw the crowds because he got a lot of crowds following him he said he was filled with compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd isn't it great nowadays that nobody is harassed and helpless that was ironic by the way okay so many people everybody in some ways feels harassed and oftentimes feels helpless and Jesus what he has compassion on that situation and so there's this exchange he says give me your weariness give me your burdens give me the thing that's weighing you down give me your water jar and I will give you rest I will exchange it for rest and if he promises rest why does he tell us to take his yoke, because a yoke is something you put on a beast of burden to to help carry or to do to do work. It's um, is Jesus offering us rest or is he offering us work? And that's a great question, because what he is offering us is both. But doing the right work will lead to rest. So let's just look forward a little bit further forward in the passage in John four. So this is still the woman at the well. Um, Uh, The disciples come back, having got food from the town, and they urge him, Rabbi, Jesus, you need to eat something. And he says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? There they are again, bringing it back down into the natural and he's talking about the supernatural. And Jesus makes this great statement, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes, look to the fields, they are ripe for harvest. Now food is what we need in order to do the work. Okay, We need, to, we need work, it gives us the strength to do the work. And Jesus is saying, I'm strengthened to do what God has given me to do by doing what God has given me to do. Let me say that again. Uh, Jesus is saying, I'm strengthened, I get the strength to do what God has given me to do by doing what God has has given me to do there's a work there's a plan there's 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 a work that needs finishing and when I do that I get the strength to carry on doing that when we're in the right place doing the right thing fulfilling the purpose that he's given us that's where we find rest for our souls my source of energy for doing God's will is doing God's will As as a child at school I remember, uh, I can, in prime, primary school, I remember giving, being given a science project to design a perpetual motion machine. Every, a few people nodding. Uh, okay. And I was excited as anything. Yet I'm going to go home and I'm going to draw a perpetual motion machine. If anybody knows anything about science, they know that it's impossible. Okay? The law of thermo, thermodynamics, I think, uh, means you cannot have a perpetual motion machine and I remember going home to my dad and saying I'm going I'm going to design a perpetual motion machine and going no you're not it's impossible you can't do it and I'm going well I'm going to be the first to do it and so i would had animals and carrots and gears and levers and pulleys and all sorts of things on my design but it can't be done all right you wonder where I'm going with this don't you I don't know, oh, it was a, a, a donkey walking on a treadmill with a carrot, but obviously that can't go on forever, uh, yeah, sorry, that was in my own head. Um, this is like a perpetual motion machine, all right, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, carrots have nothing at all to do with perpetual motion. <laughs> um okay uh, this is like Jesus if you're doing the right thing if you're doing the mission I give you you're not gonna you're not gonna lose heart you're not gonna become weary because I will give you the strength to keep doing that thing just like Jesus says to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work so when he says take my yoke upon you he's saying do the work that I've given you to do and you will find rest for your souls it's a big ask with big consequences, but in it, there is rest. The second thing he offers us is joy. So he offers us rest, he offers us joy. How many of us know that people need a good dose of joy in their lives? In John 17, um, again, this is Jesus praying with his disciples before uh, he goes to the garden of Gethsemane and he's crucified, he says, but now I come to you, sorry, he's talking to God, it's his prayer, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have My joy made full in themselves. This was Jesus' prayer to God. He wants us, the people he left behind, to experience his joy. We haven't lived in Ferndown for that long, uh, just a, a few months, but many times in conversation with people out and about, this has come up as a little bit of an issue in this town. I don't know if people live in Ferndown who know that actually there is a little bit of unhappiness at times in this town. And um, and there's a bit of a, uh, before we moved here, people said, oh, there's there's a little bit of uh, despair in Ferndown. Obviously, it's not everybody. It's a bit of a generalization. And I think we as Christ followers, we should be little pockets of joy. Not fake happiness, okay? We don't need to do that. But a deep sense of joy that comes from the hope that he's given us. You don't always even find that in church, do you? If you've been to a church, you don't always find the joy. I remember uh, a couple of Christmases ago, we were at a uh, quite traditional church, but they were singing a modern carol, um, Joy Unspeakable Joy, and the guy's, joy, unspeakable joy, deep within my soul, never lets me go, and he's just like the grumpiest person you had ever saw singing this joy, unspeakable joy, and and you thinking, well, no, no, no one actually can tell, okay? He's so deep. That is a really deep joy. Um, and when we say, the joy of the Lord is my strength, let's mean it because he's given it to us. He offers this great exchange. The prophet Isaiah talks about exchanging, giving us a, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. It's there for us. We just have to come and see. Come to me. Come to him and give him, give him our weariness and our burdens. Which means that we can then go to the people that we're talking to and we can say, I know you're going through a particularly difficult season right now, but I tell you there is hope. There is hope. Joy comes in the morning. Can I tell you where I get my strength and my joy and my hope from? And then we opens the door to direct upwards. And then the last thing I want to talk about is, uh, so he offers us rest, he offers us joy, and then he offers us hope. Jesus offers us hope. Isaiah chapter 40 says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Sometimes people need something to be hopeful for. Hope is such a great energizer you only have to see the attitude of the whole country uh, during the world cup if England wins a game suddenly the whole country is filled with hope until the next game when it all gets shattered now I love the game of golf I don't get to play often and golf is one of those games that's great yeah that gives hope and then takes it away in the same hole doesn't it Dean oh yeah anyone who plays golf know that in one moment you can be full of joy yes I've got this thing cracked and in another moment oh I'm never playing this stupid game again okay well last this week I had my very first golf lesson I've played golf for years I've never had a golf lesson my, and my wife threw she bought me a golf lesson for my birthday so I went with my brother Dom and we went to this golf club and on the way Dom and I were really excited we had a journey to Southampton to where our lesson was excited we had filled with hope about what this lesson was going to do for our golf game and then we got in front of the instructor and he trashed everything and for the next two hours, making a stand different, putting your head forward and feet apart, stand like this, put your line, you're not, not approaching the ball quite right. And it all went to pot. And we became, we got to lunchtime, we were hopeless. We were going, oh, this is stupid. Should we go home now? But then after lunch, some of the things we started to put into practice started to make sense to us. And by the end of the day, we were hitting better than we were at the beginning of the day or before. And now we're filled with hope again. And we can't wait until our next game of golf. And then you know what's going to happen. We'll hit a bad one. Oh, a stupid game again. Hope is powerful. Having a hope in something in the future, it transforms the present. It changes people's outlook. It changes the stock market. It does. It changes the value of money. Hope in, in the country, it's amazing. It changes the economy. It boosts industry. It changes productivity. Hope is powerful. Well, God's hope is not like golf hope. Okay, it's not up and down it's not up and down it's constant it's a hope that is forever for eternity it's real and it's tangible in 1 Peter Peter writes he said always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect you should have hope you should have hope, okay? We have a hope and we need to be prepared to give an answer to people who ask us about our hope. If people aren't asking you about the hope that you have, you're not doing this life right, okay? If you're a Christ follower, you should be filled with hope and it should be evident to others. Finally, if we go to the end of this passage with Jesus and the woman at the well, he's had this long conversation uh, with the woman and uh, Jesus has given her words of life. He says, come to me. She is in turn, she's gone to the town and she said to the people, come and see. And at the end of the account, we get this conclusion. And it's the end, it's filled with hope. And it's, it's the kind of hope that we're hoping for in all our inter- interactions with people. It says this, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony and she said he told me everything I ever did so when the Samaritans came to him they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days and because of his words many more became believers they said to the woman we no longer believe just because of what you said now we have heard for ourselves and we know for real that this man is the saviour of the world you said come and see we've now met the man who says come to me And we've tasted for ourselves. And we've seen his goodness. We know he is who you said he was. And so now we believe because of him. They come because of what she says. They stay and they have their lives transformed because of what Jesus says. That's just perfect, isn't it? That's what we want. To see people take up this exchange that Jesus offers. He offers rest. He offers joy. He offers Hope he offers peace, he offers salvation, he offers answers to those searching questions that we have and that others have, he offers blessing, he offers forgiveness, he offers eternity, he offers transformation. Sometimes that means having situations and circumstances transformed, but it always means. Transformation of our perspective. He always does that. He offers transformation. He offers a future. He offers us a relationship with a creator God that will last forever. He offers us meaning and purpose in our lives. He offers us this and so much more. We don't have the time to go in all the things that Jesus offers us today. He offers us so much, and it's an exchange. We come to Him and we give Him the crap. And he gives us the good stuff in exchange. So how about it? God is making this big ask of us. Are we prepared to leave our zone of comfort and go on this great adventure of sharing our faith, walking across the room and giving people the hope that Jesus wants them to have? It could change their life and their destiny forever. Amen.